to FraserCast, a place where we discuss how our community can create a more inclusive and equitable world for people of all abilities. Our community includes individuals who have varying physical, emotional, and diverse needs, and Fraser is here to help. Today, we welcome Carrie Sporer, a licensed marriage and family therapist who has been with Fraser for almost eight years, working with kids, teens, and families. Carrie has expertise in autism spectrum disorders and executive functioning difficulties, and her main clinical focus is supporting parents in their role as caregivers, including how parents can address their own needs. Carrie is here today to discuss how to have age-appropriate discussions with your child or loved one around the question, what is autism? We all know that kids and sometimes adults have many questions regarding individuals who have special needs. Today's podcast is here to help support those conversations and provide a guide to navigate what that discussion may look like. And we want to welcome you all to share your questions via our website or our social media outlets if we do not touch on your questions here today. That website, by the way, is Fraser.org, and we will repeat that again at the end of our show. So let's get started and welcome Carrie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. So let's begin by talking about the home and the environment at home. So how can caregivers and parents create an environment that is open to questions about people who have diverse needs? I think that in general, parents can encourage critical thinking and curiosity by noting the curiosity in their children and saying things like, that's a really great question you asked me, or reflecting that they're wondering about that, or I think it's neat that you're wondering about that. And if you have an answer, you can certainly give the answer. Um, But if you don't have an answer, that's okay too. A good suggestion is maybe saying that you could find out together or that you as a parent will try to get more information and bring it back to the child. It's also great to ask them when they have a question and you don't know the answer, what they think or what they think the answer might be. We're not always gonna have the right answer as parents, not gonna always be able to just give a great answer off the top of our heads. Um, and we might stumble a little bit when trying to explain things or answering or answer questions. Um, but being open to questions um, is better than avoiding them or dismissing them as something, or we don't talk about that, or you shouldn't ask that question. You want to set the stage in, in the home that welcomes questions. And the more we don't talk about things that we're wondering about or that we're curious about, or the more that we don't talk about differences that we notice, the more taboo it might seem and it makes it easier for misunderstandings to happen. I I love, uh, Carrie, that you stress that parents or caregivers don't have to feel like they know everything or that they have to be supremely confident in what they might answer, but that they should still be open to having the conversation. Uh, I think that's a powerful message. How about on the other side of it? What if a parent wants to be proactive and raise these issues with the child rather than waiting for the question to come. Yeah, sure. So I think in that case, um, you know, asking the asking your child questions about who are their classmates, who are their peers, what they like about their peers, what they what they like about their classmates, what they notice about them. And then, you know, being proactive about, you know, in your class, you might have some kids that don't like loud noises that you notice, or maybe sometimes they get frustrated when things don't go a certain way. Um, and then stressing the importance of being patient with other people and being kind to other people because 
you would want somebody to be kind to you and you would want somebody to be kind to your very best friend or the most important person in your life. So what you're saying is parents should encourage their children to take a leadership role among their own peers to be aware of this issue when, when they're out in the world, correct? Mm-hmm. And I think that, so there, there has to be a good balance between being proactive and creating an environment that's, that's open and understanding without giving your child so much information that they have a hard time sort of filtering it or pulling it out when they need it. So it's, it's important to sort of read the context and feel out the situation too. And, and, and I think that development um, and how kids like age and develop social skills can play a role in that too. Um, you know, cause kindergartners are less aware of people's differences um, and tend to be more forgiving of um, differences and maybe some social things that they see, some social blunders they might see in their peers than say like fourth graders are. And so having age appropriate conversations is also important. That's a great point. So uh, uh, it sounds like a very important point. Uh, So what are some of the things that parents need to be aware aware of when speaking to their children at different ages, like tone or um, how direct they should be, how blunt they should be and that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. I think tone is important in that um, again, in creating that that sort of open atmosphere that you want to have where kids can ask questions and no question is a bad question, is that uh, sort of having that um, neutral accepting tone to, to address some of those questions. The concern, I think, around tone is that when we're like really abrupt, like, I don't know, or... Um, you know, why are you asking me that question? I think a tone like that, like that more startled uh, sort of tone can be, kids may interpret it then as like, I shouldn't have asked that. Or a tone that's more dismissing might make, again, kids feel like this is something that like I shouldn't be asking about or I shouldn't talk about. Yeah, yeah. So, so So if I'm a child and I could hear you as my parent tell me, about uh, the issues that I'm facing, but I'm still struggling. I'm having a hard time with this particular child in my class. Uh, how can you honor my difficulties with that uh, and, and, and give me some strength to uh, make it through the day? So I think that it's important to normalize strengths and difficulties that we all have without dismissing them so we can normalize that by validating the feelings around that like yeah math is math can be hard if a child struggles with math it isn't easy to persist with tasks that are difficult all the time or it it is hard when maybe like baseball isn't your favorite sport um, and you struggle to keep up in that where maybe your friends are having an easier time so validating the feelings of um stress around that or dislike around that I think is important. It doesn't mean that when we don't like things, we don't have to do them or when things are difficult for us that we don't have to do it, but we can, we can honor the feelings around them, around the task being difficult. So if in a way that that relates to interacting with other kids, 
I think that, you know, naming that, yeah, it's, it might be frustrating for you when you don't understand another person's behavior or you don't understand why another child is having like a big reaction to loud noises, let's say, or gets really stuck when you guys have to move on from reading to math time because it might disrupt your day a little bit and that can be frustrating. But think about some of the things that are tricky for you and what kind of support you need to move through those those tricky moments for yourself and that can help the kids gain empathy and understanding and also pointing out that there's other adults in the room that it's their job to you know to help help the child move through that too so you're not alone in you know feeling that you so you're not alone in in feeling like you need to solve this issue by yourself or that you can't ask for support or guidance from other adults or teachers in the room. Another good reminder. And you know, we often hear, uh, Carrie, that if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, no, no two people are alike. So how can caregivers provide a good understanding of the spectrum to a child? What are some examples they could use? So I think that, again, normalizing that we all have, we're all different. So we all have things that we like and that we don't like. So we might notice that some of our friends or we notice that some kids with autism don't like loud noises, they're sensitive to loud noises or really chaotic environments or certain smells, or they might have a harder time putting the straw in their juice box and things like that. But, but noticing that those differences, like some people maybe don't like pizza, you like pizza, we, we are, we're all different in that way and then also like our brains work different like some people are really strong readers some people are really good at math some people are really great swimmers while other people have a harder time with that and so i think it's important to to note that when you know once you've met one person with autism you've met one person with autism and that there are some similar characteristics like we know that that many people with autism have sensitivities to to sound and you know foods and smells and things like that. But we also that can't be um, that isn't the case for every single person on the spectrum. So let's talk about family dynamics, Carrie. Uh, how important are family dynamics when talking about autism to children? I think the dynamic in regard to how welcoming you are about conversation and questions is important. Again, sometimes we don't always know how to answer questions and that's normal and okay. So when we don't know how to answer things though as parents, sometimes we might avoid that or say like, oh, we can't ask that question or you just need to worry about yourself or think about yourself. But again, that maybe sends the message that that some things can't be talked about and we want things to be talked about. And it's okay if you don't answer the question as gracefully as you would have liked to upon reflection. You can always go back and say something like, I thought more about what you asked or I thought more about what you were wondering about earlier and I wanna tell you some other thoughts that I have. So it's okay to, to go back to those moments and those hard questions. You don't have to feel like that has passed. It's always okay to revisit that because then it shows your child to it models for them that they can do the same and ask for clarification on something that they didn't feel like they, they got an answer that they understood. That's 
a great reminder for all sorts of subjects for parents and caregivers that uh, just because you've talked about it once doesn't mean, oh, thank goodness we're done talking about that. We never have to talk mm -hmm. about that again. That's usually step one. So uh, you've, you've touched on this before, but uh, is there an appropriate time to start having these conversations with children or um, earlier the better? It, it can be difficult to know when discussions around autism or differences that they notice in people might be relevant or important to kids. I think reminding kids at the start of a new school year or after a break that it's important, just the importance of um, being kind and respectful to other people, even when you notice things about them that you don't really understand that are difficult to understand. And if you notice something that you're curious about, you can ask, you know, a parent, a caregiver, or tell your teacher you'd like to know how to support your classmate or your friend or your friend that's maybe on the same you know, baseball team is you, or that is at swimming lessons with you, um, because we know that kids encounter other children other places besides school. But I think that creating this best you can, you know, a, a, again, an environment that welcomes those questions. And you might also, if, if you're getting to know you know, your kids' classmates, or if you're observing a child that they have swim lessons with, for instance, that, that you might think that the child has autism, you can, you know, tell, tell the child, your child, ask them if they've noticed that maybe, you know, this other child splashes more often in the pool than other kids, or you can also praise them for being so kind and patient with everyone that they're with when you notice those really kind and empathetic behaviors from your children to other children, like notice them and praise them. Um, and praising the positive is a really important thing for development of self-esteem and for kids to, you know, have some feel that they have some agency over the way that they treat people. And that can also build empathy and kindness as well. So how can parents support their own children when dealing with a diagnosis, say, within the family? Yeah, I think I think that we could do a whole another podcast just on yeah. talking to kids about their, their own um, ASD diagnosis. But there aren't any hard and fast rules about when to to talk to your child about their diagnosis, because, again, the spectrum being so vast it's not, there isn't a set age where it's, it's appropriate for everybody to have that conversation. And I think that sometimes parents worry about how having that information about their diagnosis might impact their child in terms of their self-image or their willingness to try new things. But oftentimes it can really, like having that information about themselves can really be empowering for kids on the spectrum that they have some, it helps them better understand maybe themselves and why some things are really easy for them to, you know, like memorizing, you know, things of great interest for them. Like many kids on the autism have really great memories for things that they're interested in, but things like interacting with other kids or being in certain sensory environments might be difficult for them and they might not really understand why, but that doesn't mean that they don't notice it. So I think that that information can be really important to, to kids. And I think that being open, again, being open to questions is really important. And also accepting that they initially might not have any questions or they might just say, oh, okay. And then, you know, like move on and go about their lives. And so 
but being being open to them bringing back any questions they might have or talking about their own struggles um, that they're they're having I think is really important. And again, asking questions around, you know, if your child has the language capacity about like what was good about today, what was tricky about today can help start, can help start conversations around some of the, your child's own personal strengths and difficulties that they have being on the spectrum. You know, talking about family care gets me thinking beyond the nuclear family to include the extended family, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and that sort of thing. I could be a grandparent of a a child with autism, and I need to not only know how to talk to that grandchild or others, siblings or other relatives, but my child. The same rules apply for other members of the family, extended family? I, I, I think so, yeah. I think that the members of the extended family, having a balance between letting the, the parent of the person or the child with autism, you know, the parent is typically like the number one strongest advocate, so really taking some questions about them, about the child to the parents saying, you know, like, how can I be supportive to your child? Or what is there something that, is there something I should know rather? Or is there um, any specific tips you can give me for interacting with them? Or what's, what's helpful to them? What's soothing to them? What tends to be dysregulating or upsetting to them? And I think that it, it, at times as a parent, it can be a little sometimes stressful to have to, you know, figure out how to answer those questions from, from our family members. But also, I think that when, when extended family members can come in with, you know, being very open and being re really responsive to any suggestions that the parent might have, that's more helpful than, say, extended family members doing a lot of research on the side and thinking that what they read might apply to the specific child or making suggestions to the parents based on an article that they read that might not be specific to, to their grandchild or niece or nephew's needs. That's a great point. Thank you for that. So uh, Carrie, I wonder if you could describe how conversations like this that we would have with children leads to uh, empowering them and, and making them more confident in the unknown in the world and the uh, and they're placing it. Yeah, I think creating, a, again, creating a space that nurtures conversations by honoring questions that are being asked and saying things like, that's a really great question, or I love that your mind is wondering about that. I think that honoring that curiosity and that inquisitiveness is important and it helps kids learn that that it's okay for them to ask questions and that helps build them that build confidence in them that they can ask for ask for information from other people. Um, and that's how we learn. We don't have to just know everything. Um, we, we learn by asking questions and getting information and that can be really empowering and help kids be good advocates for themselves and for other people. So let's close, Carrie, by talking about Fraser a little bit. I think when we think about Fraser, we think, boy, great place that provides services to families that have needs. Uh, but say I'm a parent of a child uh, whose best friend has autism and I really want to make this work. Uh, can I reach out to Fraser uh, and get some help? Absolutely. And what would that help look like? Yeah, absolutely. So families, um, Fraser supports families and kids and, 
and teens with or without a di an autism diagnosis. So I think that reaching out to, to Fraser and um, asking about how they can be good advocates and good supports to people in their community, again, like point them to the website um, about different trainings or information or the Fraser, Fraser blog can be really helpful in gaining information. And by the way, by the way, so can the Fraser cast. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And the Fraser cast. The Fraser Thank you, Carrie, for mentioning that. Yes. <laughs> the Fraser cast can be um, important ways to, to just gain general information. And again, if, there, if, if a parent is feeling like there might be some more significant struggle going on with their, their child in their interactions and understanding of peers in general or interacting with with peers with autism it's it would be okay to have your concerns sort of processed with a mental health professional or practitioner to see if the more therapeutic services might be helpful for your child to process this situation that they're going through excellent excellent thank you carrie this has been very informative it's been great Thanks having for you having today. me Absolutely. And I'm sure it was also informative for all of our listeners. And a reminder that if you have questions that we didn't cover and that uh, Carrie and her colleagues can answer, please visit fraser.org. That's F-R-A-S-E-R.org for more information or to ask a question. Thank you all for tuning in to FraserCast and we'll see you next time.